All right, please rise as we read the call to worship together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. I do want you to know that the text we have this morning is appropriate for the awkwardness of being in this place once again. It is awkward being in this building, worshiping together. It is awkward because we have tapes where the pews are. We have a separation and we're, we're wearing masks. And by the way, just so you understand, just so that people indeed are respectful, that we ask that you enter the front door, but as you leave this morning, if you will leave out the side doors so that we can make sure we continue social distancing. But as we turn to the Word of God this morning, I want to invite you to hear from Nehemiah's story as we continue. And we... Uh, we continue in hearing God's word. I'm John, I'm going to ask you if you will advance that slide as we read. I would appreciate it. Um, but I want to draw you now to the word of God. Are you ready to hear and to allow God to speak to you? So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu in, the, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence or self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them. For many in Judah were under oath to him, since he was son-in-law to Shechaniah, son of Aram, and his son, Jehoahanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, of son of Berechiah. Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate to me. After the wall had been built and I had set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians, and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. And I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. And while the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. 
also appoints residents of Jerusalem as guards, some of their posts and some near their own houses. This is the word of God. God. Let's pray together. Father, as we, as we pray before you, we, we read this passage and find nothing meaningful, and yet it is filled with overwhelming evidence that faithfulness to God is not a, a work of our own endeavor. It is a work of God through and in us. And we who are unfaithful and those who try to be faithful as we struggle to follow Christ in our days, we pray, God, make us a faithful people. Give us the gift of faith. And for that reason, bless the reading of your word and its teaching that in the end, when we leave here, we will leave with more assurance in you than in ourselves. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon this morning is With God's Help. And you think, well, how in the world does God help? Well, that's a really good question. How does he help you? Does he help you with a warm, fussy feeling in the morning when you wake up? Does he help you when you lay your head on the pillow and just cast your cares upon him? How does God help his people? And so as we look at Nehemiah this morning, one of the things that was interesting is you find from last Sunday as we, we were led through the scriptures, and by the way, if you haven't heard the sermon from last Sunday, you really need to. You need to go back and allow that to wash your mind and your heart because one of the questions, or three of the questions that were really asked of you is, do you stand in the, in the, in the, in the uh, are, are you standing with Sembalat who was, who was literally resisting the work of God? In other words, he was, he was someone who was already established and found any kind of change in his life to follow God threatening. Or are you standing with Nehemiah who is working to follow God faithfully, but in his, own, in his own struggles, he was finding it very difficult to discern how to be uh, faithful not only to God, but how to understand how God was working through the conflicts that he was, exi- he was experiencing. And so, though we would like to think of all of ourselves as Nehemiah, someone who stands for the Lord, one of the things that always is a problem is we find standing for the Lord almost impossible to do day by day, don't you? So the last question was really, are we standing with Christ, who is the strength of our life? And as we walk with Him, as we worship Him, as we are led by His Spirit, this is where... This is where God is directing our lives more than anything else, that we do not stand in our own strength, nor do we resist what God is doing, but we simply follow and humble ourselves, seeking to love God and and to do what he has commanded. Well, in light of the review of that sermon, it blessed my heart in so many ways. I want to lead you this morning through the rest of what would be an extension of that sermon, and that is that the walls were finally completed. Now remember, Nehemiah had been called by God to build these walls for a specific reason, a specific purpose of God and his work in the world. And so as he would work to satisfy God's calling in his life, he came to that final day where he was exceedingly happy the work was done. 
I, I don't know about you, but I, I love woodworking, and I want you to know the greatest day of a woodworker's life is when you say, okay, I'm done, because it never feels like it's over. You always find something else that should be touched up, taken care of, redone, and, and in that moment you say, okay, that's it, it's over, I'm done. There's such a relief, there's such a, a release in your heart that finally things have been completed. But there's a problem with that kind of idea concerning God and the walls of Jerusalem. Miraculously, it took 52 days to finish the wall. The month that the month they mention in the um, in the scriptures is really around the end of October that the walls were finally finished, and in doing so, there was this great euphoria that came in that we have finally completed this work in such ways that we have grown confident that God was with us. And on the opposite side of that was that all the enemies who stood against their work, who made fun of them and ridiculed them and, and laughed at them for making this, this great effort to please God by these walls of Jerusalem back, these enemies were now leading the lives of, of depression. They had lost their own self-confidence. They had become afraid because this meant their lives would change. You see, these walls were just more than just brick and mortar. There, were, uh, there was something about rebuilding these walls for the Jews and even for their enemies that changed the course of their life. And in changing the course of their life, they recognized one truth that was obvious to everyone. And that is that these walls were finally built because God willed it so. And so those who worked on the wall, though they were obviously very proud of it, as well as the enemies who tried to resist it and stop it, both came to the same conclusion, that God was behind it. God was the one who was making it happen, and God was the one who finally brought it to completion. And I don't know about you, but I find great comfort in that. I find comfort in that when I remember that when you came to believe in Christ, you've been given promises that are powerful and strong because there are times that you have fallen into sin and you felt such depth of despair and you look at the words of Christ and the words that came through the apostles, words like, he who began a good work in you will bring completion. Notice who's doing the work, you or God but yet you're a part of that very work that God is doing in your life. And so there's the real danger, the rub, and where really the meat of the text comes this morning, and that is, can I claim I am doing anything for God and somehow brag about it without recognizing that God is the one who has done it through me? There's the rub. Because in my flesh, I want to elevate myself. I want to put myself in a position where I can say, well, I'm saved because of my good works. And the truth is, that's a denial of the gospel. I'm not saved because of anything I've done. I'm saved because God was merciful enough to allow me to understand that through Christ, He bore the penalty of my sins and freed me from the dominion of the devil and that by repentance and faith, I have been given the gift of salvation. Now, isn't that powerful? 
Well, what part did I play? I've talked to many people who said, I gave my life to Jesus, and they did. But it wasn't that they were smart enough to do it without God's help, were they? Well, that's the real point this morning as we get into this passage. You're going to see something that's really quite amazing. They get to the place where the wall is finally completed, and in being completed, they began to revisit the whole reason they started this project. What was the purpose of the wall? Was it an end in itself? Was it a monument to them, their lives? Was it something that was to mark them as, as prideful people who made this happen? Look what we did. You can find that in the Christian life. When we, uh, when we built this building, the Parker building, there came a point where we had paid off the building and completed it and said, look what we did. And we were so proud of it. But is that why it's here? Because we needed a building to be bragging about or proud over? Is that why this building is here? Is it an end in itself? Does this building hold any significance that somehow because you were in this building, you are closer to God than you would be if you were outside or in the Parker building? Or much less in your home? You see, when things become an end in themselves, we, we hold them monuments to not God, but to our own endeavors. We may give money to the, the Mooresville Pregnancy Mission, or we might give money to the feeding the poor. We might do a number of charitable things, and we hold up that as somehow our monument to our own ability, our own work, our own righteousness. And we look at that and think, wait a minute, is that who... Is that how God works through his people? Is that all there is to being a Christian, is to do good works? Is that what saves us? The walls themselves were not meant to be an end in themselves. They were a means to an end. What means? They were a means to fulfilling the mission that God had given his people. You go back to 12, and you hear God telling Abraham of, him and, of he and his descendants that I am going to bless you so that you will be a blessing so that through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. The walls were not meant to keep people out or away from God. They were a place to mark where God's presence was residing so that all the nations of the world would come and worship him and bow down to him and acknowledge him as the one true God. That's why the walls were there. They were not barriers to God, they were identifications of where they could find God. And in finding God, they could find peace and life and purpose once again. They could find forgiveness of their sins, and they would, and they did. They would come into the temple, the holy temple, the place of God where he made his dwelling, his tent among men and women, and there they would see the living God at work receiving their prayers, honoring their worship, hearing their songs of praise. And so the walls were a means to that end that God would be worshipped and loved and adored. But even more so as God was worshipped, loved and adored, the walls were also a means to an end that it brought an identity to a people, the people of God. Now that brings a whole nother question to our lives today. 
We don't have a temple. We don't have the walls of Jerusalem. Therefore, what is it that identifies you as a follower of Christ? Someone who has come into the experience, the living God. Someone who has come into that presence of the one who loved you and gave himself for you. So that now as you stand before him, know him and love him and seek him. What identifies you? What are the marks that make you different from the woes who, who have not experienced this grace? What walls are you building that give you an identity? You see, there is the real question that, that really plagued Nehemiah because he had among himself people who had lost the purpose of the wall. Instead of seeing it as a means to an end, they saw it as an end in itself. Well, well how do you mean, Robert? What are you saying? Well, if you go back and you look at verses 17 through 19, you're going to find a story there that is really quite amazing. It doesn't make any sense to us. Did you, did you notice that? We read it and you were like, well, who in the world are these strange names and what are these people about? Well, look back in verse 17 and it says, Also in those days, nobles of Judah were sending many letters to Tobiah. Remember, we read about him. He was a friend of Sambalat who didn't want the walls built. He goes on to say, and Tobiah and replies from Tobiah, coming to these nobles, verse 18, and for many in Judah were, were under oath to Tobiah, since he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Erah, and his sons, or his son Je Jehoahan, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing those names, Jehonahan had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechah. Well, what does that mean? Well, he had connections. See, Tobiah was part of not only the noble family, his family was also part of the priestly family, the people who controlled the worship of God in the temple. And so Tobiah, probably a Jew because of his name being Jewish, was someone who had received oaths from other people in dealing with trade. In other words, Tobiah's pocket money came from the fact that he was doing business with the nobles in Jerusalem. And when the walls were being built, he found it to be a threat to his business. He did everything he could to stop the walls being built, but nothing stopped it. God was in it. God was going to complete it. And even while it was being worked on, he kept in touch with the nobles who were in his family, some of whom were working on the wall, and he was doing that behind the back of Nehemiah. You say, well, Robert, what is all the significance of that? Well, it's an evil that was insidiously coming into the people of God. You see, Tobiah was not concerned about doing the things of God. He was concerned about maintaining his own power position. And he was kind of behind the scenes as a puppet master, pulling strings doing everything he could to influence other people, and particularly his target was Nehemiah. In fact, when you look at verse 19, the most amazing, the most amazing part of the passage is, moreover, they kept reporting to me 
This is Nehemiah talking. They kept reporting to me. Who is they? The nobles who were in touch with Tobiah kept telling me, oh, Tobiah is such a good man. Notice it. They kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling Tobiah what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. You hear it? You call it uh, triangulation. Triangulation happens when, when you decide that you're going to follow and obey God and you're going to do what God wants you to do. And in that moment of triangulation, there may be someone who sees what you're doing and they don't like it or they may want you to stop going in that direction or hinder you in some way. And so what they do is they don't necessarily come and attack you at first or talk to you about your faith or your allegiance to Christ. What they do is they go to someone who's close to you and then they use them to manipulate you. I remember distinctly when I was going through the years of trying to discern whether God was calling me into ministry, and let me tell you, that's a horrible feeling. You don't feel worthy. You don't feel qualified, and certainly because of your own sins, you know that you would never be able to be righteous enough before people to live for God without Christ. And I remember I had someone in my family who really just thought I was wasting my time. They were worried about me. They were getting a little antsy because Robert got into this Jesus thing and he was getting a little different from everybody. And the person who was so concerned then went and spoke to my sister and said, you know, he's getting a little kooky. What are we going to do about this? And so my sister would come to me, and in her way, she would snuggle up close, as sisters and brothers do, and simply say, you don't have to do that. Grandmother told you to be a pre preacher. You don't have to do this. What was she doing? Unbeknownst to me, she and the others who were concerned about my conversion, trying to sabotage what God was doing in my life. I'll never forget when my sister was dying of cancer. She had gotten a rare form of liver cancer. She had since that time come to faith in Christ. It was one of those moments where if you work in the church long, you get very discouraged, and there was a very discouraging period of my life was discouraged with my own walk with Christ. I was discouraged in the life of the church. I was a real target for anyone who wanted just to knock me off. You ever been there? Your faith is so weak. You really wonder if God is near, if he really cares. I'll never forget that she was talking to me as she was suffering from cancer that could not be cured. She said, you know, remember that time I came to you and said, 
Maybe you were getting a little nutty. I said, yeah. She said, I was wrong. I said, what? She said, you were doing the most important work all of us should be doing. Because the only thing that really matters is whether you understand God's forgiveness in Christ. I'm dying. I have nothing to sustain me but a hope in Jesus. Why is that so hard to hold on to as a Christian? That your faith in Christ is the most important thing in your life. It's because you have triangles at work. You have things that are coming against your faith and the miracle is that you still believe. You see, for the miracle for Nehemiah was that he still believed in God in such ways that even even the nobles he trusted in to rebuild the wall kept in touch with the very enemy of his life and of the work of God's project of rebuilding Jerusalem, he still trusted in the Lord. And even more so, the intimidation that he went through, you would immediately think, okay, well, Nehemiah was such a godly man that he was able to stand under all this pressure. No. No. You see, the real amazing part of this is that the work of the wall that was completed was an outward expression of an inward reality that was going on in his life. Yes, God did. God did allow the walls of Jerusalem to be reestablished, to reestablish the identity of the people of God and the place where God could be found. Most importantly, the work that really was the miracle of the story was that Nehemiah kept his focus on serving the Lord. There's the miracle of the story. That in the midst of all the opposition that he faced, both internally and externally, he still trusted in the God who brought salvation. The moral of the story, the, the power of the story is this. That same God that sustained Nehemiah is going to sustain you. Amen. When you go into the New Testament, you find some important things as the, the reality of Christ and the cross becomes something more than a symbol for us. It's not a barrier to keep people away from this church it's an, a mark of identification to draw people to the living God through you because you are the building that God is building called the church of Jesus Christ. Stone by stone, God is adding people to the kingdom so that through them, they might be built into the house of God. For what purpose? Except to bring others into that place where they can know the living God and trust in Him. You are that building, the, the Apostle Paul writes. In fact, there are numerous other passages of Scripture that begin to speak of our identity as a people. The walls that mark us 
as the people of God at work in the world for His kingdom and purpose. Notice in, in John 1, chapter uh, John chapter 1, verse 12, you are given the right to be called a child of God. John writes, yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, he gave the right to be called a children of God. Do you, know who that, do you know who that is? That's you who believe in Christ. You're not an orphan. You're not a stranger. You're part of God's family. In fact, in Ephesians 5, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he makes it clear there that he says, We were predestined for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with God's pleasure and will. In other words, before you were ever born, God had determined that you, when you heard the gospel, you would believe in Him and give yourself to Him. Notice this work of God in you. In Romans chapter 6, verse 6, Paul says, Listen, you are no longer slaves to sin meaning you're no longer separated by God from your sin, for we, now, for we know that our old self was crucified with Jesus Christ so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves. We now have an identity. Who is that? It is Jesus who we are slaves to. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are God's special possession. Peter writes, but you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the, the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Have you thought about that? That's your identity. You should be going down to Walmart and letting people know, God's called me out of darkness. And yet we're so timid to talk about what God has done. Could it be that maybe we've forgotten who we are? Or in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, that you are part of a body. In other words, you're not, you're not in a relationship with Jesus by yourself. You belong to something much grander, much glorious, much greater. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, Paul goes on to teach something that's amazing, where the people of God would go to Jerusalem to find God and to enter the temple to worship Him, Paul now teaches that you as the church replace the temple. What? Do you not know that you, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God in your bodies. This is why we resist such a wicked world, isn't it? These are the stones that mark the boundaries for us. These are the walls that God has given us in this new relationship through Christ that identifies us. And I can promise you that if you're serious about following Jesus, you're going to find triangles in your life. And you will only stand. You will only continue to believe. Because God is for you. And not against you.
Would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, we thank you for the salvation that you are now working out in us who believe. And so in the glory of the gospel, we find such security, such comfort, that we were once separated from you because of our sins, but now through that blood of Christ, we have been brought close. And even that is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God to all who would receive him. And so for that reason, Father, as we go through the book of Nehemiah, we are crossing a line where we have talked about building a wall that would identify a people to now a people living out their identity in how they worship you. May our lives be dramatically changed. Not because of where we worship or how we worship, but the fact that we worship the one true God. This we ask and we pray humbly in the name and in the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. The people of God said together, Amen. Amen.